you all today. 2022, you made it, second week, and I'm looking forward to this word this morning. We are doing a series here called Live Ready, talking about getting ready and being prepared to live for the return of Jesus. Now, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when we're going to meet Jesus face to face. You never know. We could meet him today. And that could be an individual thing, or that could be a corporate thing. You just don't know when you're going to go meet Jesus. And so we're called to live ready. we got to be ready. So we're going to dive right into this word. And and so I hope that uh, you keep on coming back. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we would love to have you come visit again, and then visit again, and then just be family, uh, because we love family here. Uh, At the end of this month, we're going to talk to you about the vision for this year, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, But... I don't want to get ahead of myself because I, I, we've got to get ready for Jesus. I think that's so important as we enter this year. I, I want to talk to you about something really important, and that's an ice cream sundae. Ice cream sundaes are important. We were on New Year's Eve. We decided we're going to have some ice cream sundaes. And uh, have you ever done like an ice cream sundae bar? Has anyone done that? Isn't that like, if you've not done this, you're missing out. I'm just going to tell you, like, here's how this works. You just buy some ice cream. Vanilla is fine. You can do... You can get more creative if you want, because what's in the ice cream doesn't matter. It's about what goes on top, all right? So you show up with your, your M&Ms and your Reese's peanut butter cups and your Oreos and your whatever you want. Some people do weird things like gummy worms and nerds and things like that, but that's, you know, that's a, that, you do you. That's not me. And you add your chocolate syrup or your caramel syrup, and you add your whipping cream and your nuts and your cherry. Doesn't that just sound amazing? right now, especially on a weekend when it's sunny. <laughs> if you look outside today and you're in Washington, you're visiting, you're like, it did not just snow and then flood. There's no way. It's beautiful out. Um, welcome to our state that has multiple personality disorder when it comes to weather, but that's okay. Anyway, ice cream is so nice out. The sun comes out. I just think ice cream is just, it's wonderful. And so you have this, you start with this base layer and there's an art to it. I don't know if you've perfected the art. Like sometimes if you go like, vanilla and chocolate. There's certain toppings that work with vanilla and certain that work with chocolate. And you have to make sure that you, you plan out like how that works. Am I a little too into this? Do you guys like, <laughs> do you guys not, do you not do this? Right? All right. The caramel works best on the chocolate, in my opinion, and the chocolate works best on, anyway. All right. The whole point is, is you just got to keep going with toppings. And um, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. I'm just going to, let's just talk about ice cream today. We're, we're going through Second Peter right now. And uh, in our text today, Peter's talking about toppings, believe it or not. They're not ice cream toppings, but they're things that you want to layer on top, one on top of the other. And as you keep on layering higher and higher and higher things upon and start heaping these on, it's, it just becomes like the best Sunday ever. It becomes the greatest, well, it's not a Sunday, it's faith. And he's talking about our faith and how we just begin to, we're called to just add more on top, just put on more toppings and more toppings and more toppings until there's this completion that we work toward. And so we're going to get into our text this morning in 2 Peter uh, ver- chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, you can take notes on our church app or on your notebook. Either one is fine. Um, here we go, 2 Peter 1, starting with verse 5. We, last week, if you missed it, we talked about the great escape. We looked at verses 3 and 4. So we go to verse 5 for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to get into these things this morning, but the first thing we've got to really understand before we dig into this passage, there's so much here. I I mean, someday I just want to have a word with St. Peter and say, like, why did you put eight sermons in one small little section of scripture? I'm going to try to do it all in one, one day, and it won't be that long, I promise. But we want to look at the purpose here. What is the purpose of this whole section of text? When you're reading your Bible, it's important to read through and then stop and ask yourself, what's the purpose here? What is the author trying to communicate? What is the Holy Spirit saying through the text? And so we see that in verse 11. Verse 11 is the purpose, to live ready for the return of Jesus. He says that in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does anyone else besides me want that? richly provided an entrance into the kingdom of God. Like how exciting is that, that when I meet Jesus face to face, that he has provided for me richly an entrance into his kingdom. And so the purpose of this whole section of text that we're going to look at this morning is to live ready for the return of Jesus. And that is what this sermon series is about, to be ready for Jesus. Now, Peter gives us a long list of things, and I want to look through this and and it's, I'm going to go kind of quickly through this first section, and I don't want it to be like too much of a fire hydrant to you. And so what I've got for you is we're going to look at each one of these things that he lists because there's a lot of toppings that he puts in this section of Scripture, and each one of these toppings is important and essential in our walk with the Lord. And so we need to understand what it is he's saying. So what I want to do is just give an overview of what these things are that he's listing here. He's listed them, uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And with each one of these, you'll see on the screen as I go through, I'm going to have a scripture reference next to it. We're not going to read every scripture this morning. That's for you to go back and dig in a little deeper in the Word. Uh, it's, it's okay, I don't know if you knew this, but you, you can read the Bible outside of Sundays, uh, it's, it's great. It's a great thing to do. And so you can go back and you can take your notes and you can say, okay, virtue. And maybe the Lord tells you this week, uh, as you pray about this, as we get to the conclusion, I'll kind of just spoiler at the end. Our goal here is to take a look at these things and say, what, God, what do you want me to work on? And so if it's virtue, I've got a scripture reference for you. You can go back and read that and, and you can kind of dig a little deeper into that idea. All right. So let's start with the first one, virtue virtue, this, this idea of virtue, and some translations would say goodness. And uh, the idea here is moral excellence, goodness, and integrity. So if you are living a virtuous life, you are someone who you conform your life and your conduct to moral and ethical principles. This is like a baseline of Christianity, where, where you are giving your life to Jesus, and you are looking at God's word, and you're saying, I want to live according to his ways. And so someone of virtue is someone who has integrity, who has goodness. They are moral and ethically following the word of God. And so it's a a diligence within us, not just to do what is good, which is important, but we've also got to learn to do what God says is good. See, when we have virtue, we stop defining what we think is good, which is what our world does now, right? Our world defines 
however I'm feeling today about this one area, I get to decide if it's good or not. I get to decide if it's morally right or wrong. But there is one source that defines what's morally right and wrong, and that's the Word of God, and that's the voice of God. And so we don't decide what's right and wrong. We allow God to decide. And so we look at what does he have for us? Virtue. Virtue is that person of integrity, that person who doesn't steal their time, the person who is, is good to others, kind to others, the person who is honest, someone that you think of and you think, man, this is just an upright, outstanding person, and they do what they say they're going to do. They're right. Uh, they, they do the right thing whenever it comes their way. That is virtue. And so that is something I think as Christians we all want to have, because virtue what that does is it shows the world that we're actually authentic in what we say we believe. If we say we believe in what Jesus has taught, if we say, but we don't live virtuously, what we're showing the world is that we believe in one thing, but we do another. And so virtue is that first topping that we're going to add on to faith. And then Peter says, on top of virtue, I want you to add on knowledge. And you can go to Philippians 1, 9 through 10 to look through that. This word knowledge, and I'm giving you some descriptions, really, we're not going to just hash through all the Greek and all that that's in here, but what I'm going to give you here is kind of what the Greek word actually is translated to and expanded. Now, this word knowledge is intelligence and understanding. So this is knowing what you believe. Knowing what you believe. So, so when you have a conversation with someone and they ask you a question maybe about your faith, about your, what you believe about God, Knowledge is actually being able to say, I know what I believe about this. I know what I believe. When you look at the issues in our world that are coming up and that people want to change what is right and wrong, do you know what you believe about this issue? Right? Do you know what you believe? Do you know what you believe about marriage? Do you know what you believe about what the Bible says on when life starts? Right? These are the things that are important in our world. Do you know what you believe? So we have this knowledge. It also means discernment and discretion. So it's the ability to distinguish right from wrong. And so what's meant here is this knowledge and practical insight into understanding what Christian people ought to do. The more we rule our lives by the intelligent application of principles, this is important, we rule our lives by truth instead of ruling our lives by feeling, wants, needs, and impulses. When we begin to rule our lives by our understanding, the more we can be the men and women that God has called us to be, that we understand the principles of God and we, we live that way. So understanding that knowledge. Now, knowledge does us no good if we don't have the self-control to walk out that, those principles in our life. And so knowledge says that, that we are going to live by what God's word says, not by our impulses and feelings. So we know that up here. Now, self-control says, now I'm going to apply this to my life. And so the next one, he says, on top of knowledge, I want you to add self-control. And the word here, self-control, has a f several different meanings. Uh, the first is self-control, regulation, or self-government. In other words, what I was just saying, you're living by your convictions rather than your impulses. So you have these, you have these things in your life. Is anyone ever tempted by anything? Sorry, you're, I talked about ice cream. Now you're, I, some of you, I just... Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Uh, you have these temptations. You have these things. You have these impulses. You have these things. But self-control says, no, I am going to live my life according to what God's word says. I'm not going to live my life according to what I'm just craving all the time. Because that's what makes messes in this world. 
When people say, oh, just go and follow your heart and do whatever you want, they forget that the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Right? So we have self-control and we say, I am going to live my life according to the word of God and I am going to sometimes not do the things that I feel like I want to do because I know that God's word says that I ought not to do those. And then there's other times where I do some things that I don't feel like doing, like maybe getting up early and praying, seeking time with the Lord, maybe singing before the Lord, whatever it happens to be. Maybe it's serving someone, serving my wife sacrificially. Sometimes we have selfishness in our lives, but self-control says, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to just live my life according to what God's Word's telling me to do rather than my feelings or my impulses. The other thing that self-control means is this, continence and restraint. Now, some of you know what incontinence is um, medically, um, so I just want you to think about that spiritually. Um, Continence. Um, continence is being able to hold it, okay? So <laughs> if you are able to control your emotions, your sinful desires, whatever comes out of your mouth. Right now I'm exercising continence because there's some things I should want to say about this word, but I'm not going to. You exercise what comes out of your mouth, your responses to situations. So someone comes up to you and they say something to you and you have some things you'd like to say back and you exercise restraint, and you say, I am going to have self-control. I'm going to use restraint here because I know if I say this, I'm going to do more damage, even though it's going to feel really good. I'm going to use restraint, self-control. And so we have self-control. This is something that he tells us we need to work on. Now, so we started with faith, and on top of faith, faith is the ice cream. On top of that, we added virtue then knowledge, then self-control. Now he says steadfastness, James 1, 4. This word here, steadfastness, it, it means perseverance. It means patience, which implies a hope in waiting. It means endurance, continued effort, and a firm and unwavering steadfastness. So when he says steadfastness, this is the ability to keep on going even when you don't feel like you want to keep on going. That's steadfastness. It is that endurance, it is that perseverance, it is that patience. Nobody prays for patience. How do, do you pray for patience? Don't pray for patience before you go to, like, to the grocery store and about to stand in line or anything like that. Definitely don't pray for patience before you go to the DMV. Just don't pray for patience like that, right? You pray for patience for other things. Lord, give me patience. In my, no, actually do pray for patience. Because it's a spiritual quality that we're called to have, to persevere, to keep on going. Sometimes I feel like we, we say, Lord, I've, I've got this thing you want to call me to this year. I know you're speaking to me that 2022, this is the year. In 2022, I'm going to do this, and this is what you've called me to, and I'm going to go for it. It's called a New Year's resolution, but steadfastness makes it so that you go past January 31st. That's steadfastness. That you commit to something, and then you keep on going. I mean, sometimes in life, we start projects and never finish them. Does that ever happen in your home? Or you look at something, you say, that's right, I was going to do that. I just look, I looked at some trim in my house. I was like, two years ago, we said we were going to get to that one little thing. Right? Steadfastness says, I'm going to continue going until the work is completed. Patience, endurance, steadfastness, perseverance. Now, on top of steadfastness, he says, now I want you to add godliness. 2 Peter 3.11. 
Godliness, we think of as, I just am going to be so righteous and so holy and so pure. No, that is, that is not, that's God-likeness. Godliness is a little bit different. Godliness is a respect and awe of God. That I have a healthy respect, a healthy awe of God. That I have a reverence for God in attitude, in conduct, and in deed. And so when I have a godliness in my life, I don't just say, oh God, he's just my buddy, he's my That was cool. I'm going to preach from somewhere else, maybe. All right. Woo! That'll get your heart going. All right. I don't even know. I lost my notes and everything. Shall we, shall we fix the stage? Pause for station identification. We're going to fix that. I don't know what happened. Okay. Thanks, Mike. I was practicing to go surfing later, and I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> that was good. Okay. That was exciting. I'm going gonna, gonna to just preach over here. <laughs> the screen didn't break, so that's good. All right. Here we go. We were talking about something. I think it was the Bible. Oh, look at that. You are such a man of God. Look at that. Oh, you got it? I'll just take a drink. All right. It's exciting. All right. We were talking about godliness, I think. <laughs> From what I remember last. <laughs> That's where we left off. Um, but godliness is, is not just a respect of God. It's a, uh, also a commitment to religious obligations. So uh, that we say, okay, this is... Religious obligations could be lots of things, right? This is just definition, right? It sounds bad to say religious obligations, but the reality is it's the discipline in life. Do we come to church? Do we participate in the body of Christ? Are we faithful to the Great Commission to go to all the earth and to, to make disciples of all nations? Do we do these things? Do we share the gospel? Do we read our word? Are we tithing? Are we uh, remembering the Lord in communion? Are we praying to God? These are the, the things that is a godliness in our life where we are saying, I am committed to what it is that I say I believe in. So godliness, though, is not perfection. It's a devotion to God. What's cool about godliness is that you don't have to be perfect to live godliness. Instead, godliness will perfect you as you devote yourself to the things of God. And so when we think of godliness, so often we think of someone who's, oh, they're just so great and they're just, you know, they have a halo when they walk in the room around their head and their face shines like, you know, Stevens and Moses. But no, godliness isn't that. Godliness is I'm committed to walking this out with God. And as I walk this out, he perfects me. All right. So then on top of godliness, now we have two more. We have brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness, Romans 12, twin is the word Philadelphia in Greek. You've heard the city of brotherly love. That's because uh, Philadelphia, phylos means friendly or companionship, and adelphos means a brother or associate united by a bond. And so this is a type of love that we share through healthy family relationships. In the context that Peter's giving it to us, he's saying that brotherly kindness is how God's family, that's you and me, is how we treat each other. So this is a camaraderie, a unity, a harmony, care. It's being others-minded. This is brotherly kindness, how the body of Christ interacts. 
And then finally, he mentions love. 1 Corinthians 13, the word here in the Greek is agape, and it's to love in a social or moral sense. It's a universal love to mankind. It is loving with the love of God. And so what's the difference between brotherly kindness and love? To, to, here, here's the difference. See, brotherly kindness in some regards is really easy. Now, you may not like b- agree with every single thing that everyone else in the church agrees on or believes in, or you might feel like you're the only one who doesn't feel a certain way. We do. We still are people. We still are individuals, and we have opinions and things like that, right? I said caramel goes on chocolate. Some of you were like, I'm walking out. This is heresy. But for the most part, we have the same values and, and similar things. So brotherly kindness should be easy because it's a small task to have good feelings toward people who share our beliefs, values, and lifestyles. Isn't that right? Isn't it easy to have good feelings toward people who think the same way you do and to believe in the same things you do? That's easy. Love, however, has no regard for boundaries of like-mindedness. It just reaches all. It has no line between class, creed, circumstance. It just loves because it sees someone as someone who God has created and who God desires to redeem. That's what love is. And so it's different. So we come in our church and we have brotherly kindness. We say, you know, we can bond together, we can unite together, and we have a common cause. And we go out into our world with love, treating people with dignity and respect and care because we see them. This is someone who God wants to redeem. You have never met someone in your entire life, as horrible as that person may have seemed, you've never met someone who God has not wanted to redeem. Because God reaches down to each one of us and he, with his love, and he desires to redeem all of humanity unto himself. And so this is the qualities that Peter lists for us. Now, that's not just an easy list. There's a lot going on there. Now, we can look at that list and kind of go, you know, check, check, half a check, check, skip, check, or whatever it happens to be. And you can go through your list, and we do this sometimes in the Bible. We go through these lists, and we look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. So, so we don't want to skip that one, and then move on, right? We, but this is a, a list of qualities that he says that are important in the Christian walk. But there's something really important that he says that if you don't pay attention carefully, you're going to miss it completely. He says this, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, we say increasing. There's a key word right here. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing. You see, the goal for living ready for Jesus isn't just checking these boxes so that when I preach this message and you look at this and you go, yeah, I'm actually doing pretty good. Or I got this. No, the goal is growth. The goal is increase. The goal is to increase. Listen, there is never a point which you have it all down. And I need you to hear this in love. You have not arrived as a Christian. You've not arrived. I have not arrived as a Christian. Peter doesn't say, if you do okay at these things, or hey, if you, I know you worked on these 10 years ago, so you're good. Now let's just, you know, you got it down. Now you don't need to work on it anymore. That's not what he says. In this text, he says, if these qualities are increasing. The continual growth. And this word he uses for increasing also means abounding. So in other words, it's growing so much that it's overflowing out of your life. Now, I might have love, but it might not be abounding. I might have brotherly kindness, but it might not be abounding. 
I might have self-control, and it probably isn't abounding. And so the goal here is to increase, to continue growing so much that it overflows. And this is one of those times where as Christians we say, well, okay, I got it. What do we say as Christians all the time? I should read my Bible more. Ask, ask 100 Christians and 95 will say, I should read my Bible more. We, we kind of beat ourselves up over this. And maybe it's true. Or I should pray more. Or I should go to church more. Or I should whatever it is more. But this isn't talking about knowledge. See, we're reading our Bible and we're trying to grow in the knowledge of God. But when he says increasing, he's not talking about increasing your knowledge in these things. I want you to really study these things out and know what they are. But you can know what this is. You can know what virtue is inside and out. But when push comes to shove and the decision is front of your face, it's what you choose in that moment that decides if virtue is present in your life. And so this is about application. It's about character and actions. You could know everything there is to know about God. You could memorize the entire Bible. I don't think you could memorize the entire Bible, but even if you could memorize the entire Bible, you would still need to keep growing. See, we mistake sometimes as Christians that when we say I'm supposed to grow, what we think is I'm supposed to grow in knowledge, which we are, but we can't stop there. We can't stop at this place of like understanding the Bible more. You need to grow in action because if you don't keep growing, the knowledge of God will do nothing for you. And here's what you need to know, and this is what's really important that I believe Peter is telling us. That is to live stagnant as a Christian is to live unprepared to meet Jesus. And to me, there's a, there's a scary thought to that in a good way. There's that respect, there's that awe, oh, that's, okay, I got to be ready. If, if I am stagnant as a Christian, if I have come to this place where I go, I got it down, you know, it would be easy for me as a, as a pastor, say, I've been preaching for 10 years and just kind of just do it now. It's no big deal. No, I got to dig in. I want to grow in the word for myself every single week because if I'm stagnant as a Christian, I'm living unprepared to meet Jesus is what he's telling us. And, and that's not just me saying that. This is why I believe even Christians are afraid of their death or are afraid of the return of Jesus because something in us knows that a stagnant life doesn't prepare us to meet Jesus face to face that we are called to keep on growing. And, and Peter has some strong things to say about this. And, you know, I like to preach an encouraging message. This is a challenging one as I was reading this this week. He says that we have some choices. He says that if we are, these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Now, we have a choice then, he's telling us. We actually have a choice in this matter. We can choose to keep growing. We can choose to make it a point in our life, say, Jesus, I want to grow in you. That when I look back at the end of 2022, I can say, I grew in the Lord this year. I didn't just grow in what I know about the Lord. I grew in my virtue. I grew in my godliness. I grew in my self-control. See, he says we have two choices. Our faith can either be effective and ineffective. If you want your faith to be ineffective, raise your hand. Oh, see, trick question. If you want it to be effective, I want effective faith. The word ineffective here, and this isn't very nice of Peter to say, but it's what he says. The word he uses for ineffective means inactive, unemployed, or lazy. If these qualities aren't yours and are increasing, Peter calls us out, then you are 
lazy. We want to do work for the kingdom of God. We say, Jesus, would you use me? But if these qualities aren't increasing, Peter says, you're unemployed. You're unemployed. Like, I got no work for you because you are doing nothing. Lord Jesus, help those people, whoever they're going, Lord. I pray for our first responders right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would accompany them, Lord, you'd give them wisdom. Lord, wherever they're going, Lord God, we pray that you would intervene in that situation and that your presence would be known in Jesus' name. Sorry, I have spiritual ADD sometimes. So Peter says this, he says that our discipline determines our growth, that we can either be effective or ineffective, that there is a discipline within us that determines our growth. If we aren't growing, it's not because we don't have the means to grow, it's because we aren't making an effort to grow. It's not because we don't have the means. We, we look at the early church, and some of you are reading through the book of Acts with me right now, and you see they're growing like crazy. They didn't all own five different versions of the Bible in their language, and yet they grew. We have all that we need to grow. We have a place where we can gather freely, and we can worship God. We have the Word of God. We can pray. We can connect with God. If we aren't growing, it's not because we don't have the means. It's because we don't make an effort. And sometimes we have to be faced with that own reality and be honest with ourselves in those areas of our life. So then he says, if that wasn't enough, our life can either be fruitful or unfruitful. And this picture of unfruitful that he gives us is a tree that is not yielding what it ought to yield. Because the tree that he's talking about is a tree that has the purpose of bearing fruit, but it's not. And the question then is, why isn't it bearing fruit? Well, it's because it's not connected to the life source of Jesus. If you remember in John 15, Jesus says that if you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, then you will bear much fruit. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's our living connection to Jesus that determines our growth too. It's not just discipline that determines growth, which it does, but our connection to Jesus determines our growth. You could read your Bible all day long and just read words on a page, but the Word of God has a purpose to connect you to the living God. And so when we stay connected to Jesus, we bear fruit. How do we stay connected to Jesus? We seek Him. We pray. We repent. When we mess up, when we do wrong, we say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I want to be connected to you. We ask Him for wisdom and discernment. And so we stay connected to Jesus. And then finally, he says this, he says that we can either be blind or we can have perfect vision. Those are the choices that we have. If we have these qualities and they are increasing, then we will walk with vision. But if we aren't growing, then he says we are so nearsighted that we are blind. This is, this is an inference of this this thing he's saying, what you can see, near, what is nearsighted? Is anyone nearsighted? I'm nearsighted. All I can see when I take my contacts out is something this close. And sometimes I have to squint, right? Like I can't see things far away. All I can see is what's really close to me. Like I can see, I can see my hand, but if you in the back, if, if you were CT to hold up your hand and ask me how many fingers you were holding up, I'd have no way of knowing, not a clue. But I could see my own. I could see that I'm holding up three fingers because it's right in front of my face. And so if I'm so nearsighted that I'm blind, 
What he's saying is that our eyes and our vision don't ever make it past ourselves. They don't ever get beyond us. And our ability to see beyond ourselves, well, it also determines our growth. If you are going to grow in the Lord, if you're going to keep growing, you are going to need discipline. You are going to need to be connected to Jesus. And you really, really, really are going to need to be able to see beyond yourself. We have to know this, that the world isn't about us. It does not revolve around us. We've got to take our eyes off ourselves and see what God is doing around us. And when we begin to do that, we begin to grow. If you've ever been in a season of your life where you're just in a funk and you're feeling bad about yourself, the best thing you can do is to start praying for someone else, serving someone else, looking for an opportunity to give to someone else. Because when you get your eyes off of yourself, you actually begin to grow and begin to mature and actually begin to see more that God is doing in this world. But if it's all about what I want, what I can benefit, and how it makes me happy, I won't have vision to live ready for Jesus. I won't. Like, there's a lot that God's Word says about Jesus and His return. And there's a lot that's happening in the world. Have you noticed? If all I know is what's about me, 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 I will not have the vision to be looking out toward the return of Jesus. I won't see it. I'll miss it all if I'm so focused on myself. And so Peter says, church... You've got to commit yourselves to growing. You've got to commit yourselves to growing. I believe Peter, he wanted wanted us to be effective. He wanted us to be fruitful. He wanted us to have vision. And so there's this challenge that he throws out to us. If you have these qualities and they are increasing, if you will commit in your life to being a person who grows, I'm calling you, church, he says, to put effort into it. To put effort, it's one of the very first things he says. If we go back to verse 5, he says, For this reason, make every effort. Make every effort. The word here for effort means earnest and diligent. That you interest yourself in the things of God. That you put an importance, a priority on your life, on growing Him. I know sometimes in our life we have things, we know i got to work on this, so what do we do? We put a priority on it. We put priority on maybe spending time with family, or we put a priority on exercise, or we put a priority on eating healthy, or whatever that happens to be. And he says, put a priority on growing in the Lord, that it would be a goal for you. When you set your goals this year, when you look at 2022, and you say, I have a goal this year. He says, why don't, you, why don't you set a goal that says, I have a goal this year to grow in love for others. I have a goal this year to grow in my virtue that I want, no matter who I meet, whoever I work with, anyone I come in contact with, walk away being able to say, that's a man of integrity. And I want to grow in that so much that the world notices. Whatever it is, I want to grow. But I think the most important piece that we, we learn from this word effort is this. The primary definition of this word that he uses for effort is the word haste or quick. You see, Jesus said, Be ready because I'm coming quickly. Now, we look at it and go, well, wait, it's been a couple thousand years since he said that. Yeah, I get it. I don't know his definition of quick either. (laughs) But I know that he's coming quickly, and I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means I'm going to him quickly or he's coming quick. All I know is, is that God's word says, is I better live ready 
so that if he does come quickly, then I'm ready. You see, Peter says when he says put effort, he says, you got to get around to this stuff like now, like quickly. Don't wait and say, okay, awesome, 2023, I'm going to work on these things. No, quickly, living ready for Jesus is an urgent matter right now in our world. It is an urgent matter. It's not something to get to later. He says, make every effort. If you haven't, start today. Commit to growing in the areas of life that he points out. Commit to those things and then put work in. This is a very practical application that we can walk away with today where Peter is calling us to live ready for Jesus and to put the work in. Amen. And so I challenge you to go out and just begin to look at this, look at these things and look at this list. And if you read this list and you go, oh yeah, I'm pretty good. All right. Amen. See you, Lord. Then, Then I want you to dig a little deeper. And maybe digging deeper is spending some time in prayer. Maybe digging deeper is to ask someone who you spend a lot of time with to honestly see if they agree that you got all these things down perfectly. Because they might not. Right? And then when they tell you some things you don't want to hear, then you get to use that restraint and don't say things back that you want to say. And we'll show that you're growing. We don't have it down. We don't have it down. And as soon as we admit that, and as soon as we say, I will commit to growing in the Lord, and the more ready we are for Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me? I want to pray over you this morning. Thank you, Lord. You know, church, the, the I have arrived mindset has no place in the Christian walk. And you may have been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. But I got to tell you, the I have arrived mindset, it has no place in the Christian walk. The truth is we have not arrived until we meet Jesus face to face. That's when we arrive. And if we're going to live ready, we've got to live a lifestyle of spiritual growth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now, this morning, that even now you would show us, Lord, we turn to you and we say, God, would you show me where I need to grow? Will you show me, Lord, how to keep growing? Lord, even in these places, Lord, if, if there's anyone here who says, I feel like I've got all these down, Lord, I pray that you would show those people, Lord, how they can keep growing. Lord, I pray that you would that you would just put a conviction within us, Lord God, to continue pursuing a lifestyle in which we grow, not just in knowledge, but in application and walking out what it is that you say we should do the way that we should live, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would show us where we're at, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would spur us on and that you would equip us for a lifestyle, Lord God, of growth. Lord, we want to be a people that grow. We want to be a people that in this year, Lord God, in 2022, we could say we have grown in the Lord. We have grown in our walk with him. We have grown in the way that we're walking this out. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help us and equip us and show us how to grow. Praise your name, Lord. Will you just take a moment and would you just ask the Lord, would you just pray that in your own words, Lord God? Would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you just take maybe 30 seconds and would you just ask the Lord, to begin to equip you for that lifestyle of growth.